Hey, it's the Love and Our Wake podcast, and we're so glad that you've joined us today. Together with Ben Teefy and Jason Aitchison, we are diving into theology to talk um, real life and how we, like Jesus, can leave love in our wake. I'm Bethany Thompson. Let's go. Let's go. Ready I, I to rumble. Putting like pulling faces and stuff while Beth is doing that. I never look at you. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't. I just she gets in her own zone. Things, she gets yeah. in her own zone. <laughs> Sorry. This is why on a lot of places they pre-record that top and tail. Super stuff, smart. I like the fact that we do it live every time. That's every right. time is fresh, man. Every time's fresh. It's just the new opportunity to stuff it up. It's brilliant. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Life presents us with those on a regular basis. Uh, I love leaving love so in my week. <laughs> that's good. Otherwise, uh, door. No. <laughs> so last week we um, had reflections on twenty twenty. And we really, if you're listening, hopefully you two have decided that you want to leave love mm. in your wake, that we're not just consumers as people of God, but we are missional Christians that we really are here to become like Jesus. I, I, we probably should have asked them to leave comments about what they're leaving in their wake this year. Go for it. You can join uh, a comment from last week's totally. episode or this I'll, week's. I'll That's a brilliant idea. Hit us up, yeah. people. Hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. 2024, here we are. Nana, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> are you so a the, comment lever or a... Uh, just, to just emojis and you make it up. Just you just write the story. <laughs> so last podcast, we raised the importance of living intentionally and opera- operationalizing kind of what we're wanting to do. But really that that being an act of active discipleship, that mm. we're not just trying to produce more to-do lists because reality is if we've written dreams and plans or whatever that is in our you know iPhone and we've kind of saved a note thinking, oh, that's good, really that's not really what it looks like to live intentionally. It's totally. got to go beyond an iPhone note. And so if we've got any thoughts about how – kind of the value of that, how we can do that as active disciples of Jesus is really living more intentionally. Mm. It's well, I think, de- oh, sorry. It's definitely a poster printed on your toilet. I'm sorry. It was just a joke that I was going to make you. <laughs> it's not a joke. You've printed one, man. I see that face. You've you printed it. one. You have it. You need one everywhere. Well, you do You do need a regular reminder, you know, That's like right. how much of, of spiritual disciplines are enhanced by having cues in places, whether it's something you stick on your fridge or your bathroom or toilet door yeah. or whatever, you know. Um, so good call, good yeah. call. <laughs> I think this is interesting to me. Like the idea of operationalizing it is something mm. I keep coming back to for my own life. Like let let me operationalize this in a specific setting, in a specific context and mm. relationship. So operationalizing simply is means how do I break it step by step down into a measurable process, right? And yeah. so that's why mechanics don't just have a vibe about, you know, oh, there's a vibe about what's wrong with your car. Mm. No, it's operationalized. An engine is a system, it's got a chart and a diagram and it has steps to go through and they have diagnostic processes to go through. You know, it's operationalized. Yeah. If my car doesn't do this, then I've got to fix this, this or this, you know. So yeah. and that's where people in the modern world we we get used to living by the vibe, you know, mm-hmm. um, and swanning through life with intentions that actually never come into reality. Yeah. And why that is the case is because we fail to operationalize what's going on. We don't we don't make it into a tangible step. That we should, you know, um, pursue. I guess pursues the way. So interestingly, I, I've been reading one of my favourite philosophers over the holidays, and he he's a modern philosopher. Which you know, there's not many standout modern ones. <laughs> he's an atheist, which is funny, um, but an incredibly brilliant guy. And it's so funny, like to me, how much sense he makes that dovetails with the Christian faith. And I always read some of his stuff, thinking, mm. dude. If you're a follower of Jesus, you got this totally nailed, bro. You know, <laughs> totally. Um, but interestingly, he's talked about a lot about love in uh, some stuff that he's been banging on about lately in some of his speeches and writing and reflections. And so I listened to this interview with him. His name's Alain de Botton. He's a he's a modern day philosopher and he's a very very clever oh. fella. So in in this, he he talks about the fact that we've gotten love wrong 
in our society, we've completely gotten love wrong. And we've gotten it wrong for, let's say, 200 years, you know. Um, and wow. why that is is because the philosophy of romanticism has affected our culture, right? Mm-hmm. And romanticism is not just like, oh, I like candlelight dinners with my baby, you know. But romanticism as a as a literary and cultural movement has found, has totally changed the way Western culture thinks of love and conceives of love. Because for us, it is all a feeling, right? It's mm. a state of being, a feeling. And I love you if I feel loving and then I'm driven by those feelings. Those, those feelings of love drive me to yeah. certain things. So yeah. sold that way. Mm. Yeah. And that's everything, right? But yeah. he talks about it specifically in Intimate Love, that like the Hollywood picture, the whole thing that Hollywood sells us on love is two strangers, two star-crossed lovers, they're going to run into each other. It's going to be love at first sight. They're going to have this deep intuitive vibe and connection. They barely know anything about each other, but they read each other's minds, man, you know, and it's going to be yeah. awesome and they feel this strong drawing and, you know, he's a doctor and she's a Latino maid, but they come together and love conquers all odds with this deep passion, you know. And then, of course, what happens is if anyone who actually lives that way, they're, they're changing intimate partners every year or two yeah. because that type of love doesn't last long. Totally. And guess what? It's not actually love. That's why. <laughs> mm. It's romanticism, which comes mm. from um, you know, the 17th and 18th century artists that sold us, you know, Shakespeare sold us Romeo and Juliet, two mm. young teenagers who know nothing about each other, love at first sight, suicidal psychotic emo love where everybody dies you know right yeah in tune in for more reviews yeah (laughs) in constant counter distinction to anything that would really make sense in their life you know right so anyway so then our whole society has been impacted that way now think about this when it comes to christianity we are no less a victim of romanticism than western culture is and the type of love we're talking about in leaving loving you wake is not um, erotic romantic mm, love that's right but no less for a lot of christian people love is only a feeling yeah it's yeah. a feeling um god loves me if i feel his love totally. if i don't feel like god loves me today yeah. then i throw restraint to the wind and do all sorts of other things how many people mm. do we know that they need that fresh revelation of god's love otherwise they lack restraining forces in their lives do you know that's interesting someone once described um a church um that I know and they said, yeah, it's like every week people just need a defibrillator on their heart to wow. kind of bounce them back up. Yeah, but that's like yeah, the emotion yeah. and the feeling yep. to be revived so they can survive their week. And I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure that's not what Jesus had in mind, you know. Mm, yeah. but interesting mm. thought. Yeah. So so I think when we talk about leaving love in our wake, the misconception would be, oh, I'm just going to live a lovey-dovey life where I'm just gooing and gushing all the time with these lovey-dovey feelings or whatever. But then everyone's cold face is going to make them realise, man i'm not feeling that at all mm, you know yeah, like mm. deal with broken people for 10 minutes you stop feeling gooey quite soon you know yeah um you know and then i don't know bethany you're a newlywed like how long how long before there's no question you love your husband mm. right but i definitely do but He's your the, the the <laughs> early <laughs> first six months of your relationship when it's like oh man i've got butterflies in my tummy i'm weak at the knees i don't eat and i can't think straight because i'm thinking about <laughs> that person right mm-hmm. well be married for six months you're not feeling that way after six months of marriage okay, right Jack, does not you. mean <laughs> it does not mean you don't love each other right but it, but things it, change it does it totally. does change yeah. the the feeling changes right so in mm. in all you know the counseling and psychology discipline of human mm. intimate relationships 
that infatuated love, which is heavily driven by hormones and especially phenylethylamine coursing through your system, this is like just like smoking crack. That chemical is really it <laughs> yeah. is. It's like a pain analgesic. It shuts down, you know, um, certain processing mm. areas of your prefrontal cortex, which basically means you make way worse decisions. That's how anyone stays long enough together because true love really is blind. You're too dumb to know the person's weaknesses, so you fall in love with them. Anyway, all this stuff, but it wears off. But then over time, it's supposed to healthily give way to this other thing called companionate love, which is a deep abiding intimate friendship where we've got each other's back you know we know each other's hopes fears dreams expectations strengths weaknesses we love each other unconditionally we support each other in vulnerability that's a healthy relationship anyway whether it's romantic or just deep friendship right so but hollywood says like the the romanticism school says oh it's just a feeling so then love is a feeling everybody's chasing Mm. right and then think about this because worship cannot be loving God and being loved by God as a practice of a spiritual discipline, it just simply becomes, are you putting me in a highly curated environment that stimulates my emotion right now? Which is interesting because we get those reflections in, you know, different worship services, not necessarily here, but, you know, you hear yep. of them of like, yep. oh, I just wasn't feeling it, you know. It's like, yeah, I just yeah. didn't I'm feel not it sure today. that's actually you a reflection it. of it. Man, bro, you don't have, was God feeling it? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, yeah. I, and, I think yeah. that's huge. That's huge for us. And we personally, right, we have our amplifier and our lights and our haze machine like so i'm not against any of it but i think one of the things is um and you know you rewind 300 years the church had candles and you know gothic ceilings so it's still environmental cues they're sometimes yeah they're not necessarily based on feeling they're also just based on preference like i enjoy music that has drums in it like i know i actually do i think that's where but it's not it shouldn't be based in that emotion at all should it? and i think it's not it's not like more loving because there's a smoke machine and it's not more loving because there's no smoke machine or acoustic or whatever it is i'm more spiritual because it's simpler in my world like that's that's it's not more or less loving because of those things because love isn't a feeling or a state of being right right? it's it's not a feeling or a state of being so in in this um treatise on what culture has gotten wrong with love elaine de botton says that romanticism has sold us love as a feeling Mm. right and there's all sorts of problems with it before that, he says, culture was held together on the idea that they might not have said it this way, but if you look back as a social scientist and analyse behaviour, this is what it is. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a skill. Love is a so skill. other than the last couple of hundred years, historically, most people got married in arranged marriages, even Westerners, right? So yeah. if you know Zimbabweans, various African nations, mm. Indians, and many other, many other cultural groups, it's still totally normal in many cultures for your friends and family to arrange a marriage for you. Right, and those marriages have an astounding reported happiness rate and an astoundingly low divorce rate. Why is that? The skeptical view would be they have a low divorce rate because they're culturally thrown together and they're too scared to break their cultural rules. Not the case because those couples, when surveyed, report higher levels of subjective happiness than people who marry because of romantic love. There's a tremendous, it's countercultural, but there's a tremendous sociological case for arranged marriages actually mm. based on report of happiness and their um, lack of divorce rates, right? Anyway, another I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised because I do think there's some, there's some validity to it because yeah. you are removing so much of the romanticization. You're removing the romantic you're removing that right no but you're not removing so here's the thing so some people go oh but who wants that right but what they don't understand and i've actually spent a lot of time with people in arranged but also marriages. often with arranged marriages too someone has put thoughtful consideration into it so it's not just find a random find a random it's not in most it cases really someone is. has 
put thoughtful consideration yeah. into your personality, your type, yeah. your yeah. your background, your mm-hmm. you know all of those mm-hmm. things. How's which they going to affect the family? Right. So I feel like that's think about uh, this: that's the people who well. know you best, they go and look for someone <laughs> that they then know suits you best. So I mean, really, that that's if you amazing. have worked with people for any length of time, you realize, yeah, that relationship was a train smash and everyone that knew them best knew it would be you know what i mean like anyway so i'm not saying oh no one should marry out of romantic love but the strength of it is is that why arranged marriages work is because they go love is a skill so so they don't go love is what brought us together they go love is what keeps us together so they their marriage gets arranged Mm. they marry they fall in love throughout the process of being married and they build that, right? And so many of them report the phenylethylamine and infatuation, right? I mean, they're already married by the time it's For happening, sure. but then guess what? Well, that's way less frustrating because you're already married. So if your phenylethylamine is calling you like, <laughs> get all your gear off and run around the lounge room, guilt-free, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so so they, they often, the it wasn't that there was no love and romance in totally. relationships. It was that the, the, um, the commitment comes and then the feelings of romance and love unfold over time within that and they grow into the phase they grow through the the phenylethylamine infatuation and the novelty and the newness of it all and they grow into deep companionate love and then their lifelong but there's you know they report quite a lot of security in that anyway so this is not an advertisement for arranged marriages is it it the sense sorry yeah it's not an advertisement but is it the sense of this this newness and we're building through that is that what's happening there well, the whole thing is right. So historically for the human race, marriage as an institution for the vast majority of our history has been an arranged thing, right? And then guess what two things have happened to us in modern times? Number one, romanticism now means marriage is because you fall in love with someone. That's why you would or wouldn't marry because of that feeling of love and love is a feeling. And then secondly, wow, the breakdown of marriages has absolutely skyrocketed, mm. right? Yeah. So... Alain de Botton's um, assessment of it is, is that romanticism ruins love because it reduces it to a feeling and an experience, right? Before that, before there was romanticism, there is love is a skill. Love is a choice you make and then you behave lovingly and actions of love embrace feelings of love and then love is what you do. You behave in a loving way. You pursue someone as a choice. You determine to do it. So think about that because Mm. all the theology of love that we have in the New Testament is that unconditional agape love. Love mm. is a choice. You know, if you remember the old DC talk um, mm-hmm. phrase, love's verb. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, so it's fascinating because it comes down to what this idea that we started with your question, Bethany, yeah. is how do we operationalize of it? How do we operationalize it? We have to understand if for me, love is just a feeling I feel and I'm hoping to feel more loving. Yeah. And then if I felt more loving, I'd do more or God, fill me with your love so I can go out and do stuff. And then I'm going to sit in my room and wait to be filled with love before I go out and do stuff or I realize fill me with your spirit God but I'm going to go and do stuff out mm. of love then I'm more yeah. likely to begin to experience love by acting out of love it's it's a really good thought because I feel like there's you can hear love as a choice right so yeah. kind of like in a moment choose love right mm. yeah mm. but I feel like it's the phrase also that we learn to love yeah. But the cool thing with love as a skill we learn to love and those thoughts is it takes us back to actually we're all on a learning journey and a growth journey mm. and that no one's actually made it, which again comes back to, hey, we're on this journey to be like Jesus. We're on this journey to kind of, mm. you know, go, actually I need to be a little bit like that yeah. or I need to actively change here, but I didn't quite get that right and then just keep going where mm. I think mm. without the mindset that love is a skill or, or we're here to learn mm. um, how to love is that we can think I've either got it or I don't. Yeah. 
And even with the attachment stuff that we've talked about of like, I'm either stuffed or I'm not, you know. But in fact, this is a journey that we're all going on to learn how to leave love in our wake, isn't it? Yeah. And so then, okay, well, I want to operationalize. I want to to learn to leave love in my wake. It's not sitting waiting to feel something. Yeah. It is going, okay, there is an objective standard of love. I find it when I look at the biography of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Yeah, right? That's right. It looks like sacrificial, suffering, mm. other-oriented mm. service, right? I empty myself, I pour it out for other people. That's how that's the definition of love in the New Testament, right? So then I'm going to go and behave in those ways. So if I'm loving someone, it's not how do I feel about them, it's how am I behaving that shows what I'm mm. doing. Interestingly in the um you know when when somebody asks Jesus like, you know, how do you how, how am I going to inherit eternal life? He tells them a story about just this, right? He tells them a story about how they go out and do something. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So he says, the guy says, you know, how am I going to inherit eternal life? And she says, well, there was once a guy and he walks down the road and he gets beaten up and he's left by the side of the road. And the religious black belts, they walk by on the other side. But then the Samaritan comes along and the Samaritan puts him on his donkey and takes him to the inn and gives the innkeeper two gold coins and says, I'll be back passing this way. And then Jesus at the end of the statement says, um, who acted more like a neighbor to this guy, right? So it's like, what do you do? You love your neighbor. How do I love my neighbor? Jesus tells a story, right? And then he says, who acted more like a neighbor to this guy in the story, right? You know the story? Mm. So for Jesus, neighborliness, loving your neighbor is defined by did you go out looking for someone suffering and pour yourself into their life and sacrifice, you know? So that's what loving your neighbor was. I devoted my life to to being a kingdom of God presence in someone else's life. So Jesus tells that story in response to the question, who's my neighbor? Because you're telling me I'm supposed to love my neighbor, so how do I do it? He doesn't say, well, feel feelings towards them. (laughs) He says, behave in a certain way. Act intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. And you see in the story of the Good Samaritan a snapshot of the life of Christ for the human race. Really, that's that's Mm. him. Jesus is the one going and finding us beaten up and naked by the side of the road. So for him, how do I love? I go and I pour out my life for serving other people. And then he says at the end of the parable, well, go and do likewise. So that's okay. I'm going to embrace a life where I go and look to pour out to other people. And the other thing, he doesn't give you a a kind of like, oh, do you feel like doing likewise? Yeah, that's right. And so not everything that we're commanded to do is something that we will feel like doing, but yet Mm. it's still an act of obedience in following. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like we most of the time, because romanticism has affected us so much, that's the romanticism is like the elevation of feeling and emotion at the end yeah. of the day. I only do what I feel like doing. Me feeling like doing it becomes my motivation. Mm. Whereas prior to romanticism, it was like, no, no, principle was your motivation. Knowing that there's like the end in mind and that mm. the person I'm mm. actually following is making me a better person. Like we're not we're not saying, hey, follow Jesus and hopefully your life turns out. No, you follow Jesus. Like you are going to become more like Jesus. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. so it's not you know, an act of obedience towards something that will bring you destruction. Actually, no, yep. I act yep. on principle because I know that the result of this is mm. fruit. Mm. That's Isn't right. It? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, life looks like Jesus. So That's it's right. Like, okay, so if I copy Jesus, I'm synchronizing myself yes. with what life looks like. Mm. Yeah. So if, if love is a skill in that process, yeah. it, it gives a lot more grace in the sense of the learning of love right like so if i stuff up or make mistakes do you i feel well. like <laughs> when oh I no he does. Yes, when, he does uh, <laughs> i've but, got emails from hannah for the last three podcast episodes <laughs> like there's no love in the wake there <laughs> um but in that that process like i i i've never heard of it as a as a skill yeah or I, a, well i don't think anybody has action you know mm. um 
So in, in turn, as they learn, they have more grace to each other because they're like, oh, we are learning yeah. how to do this together. Ideally, And no. so as mm, mistakes mm. and you know, journey happens, it's this yep. learned action of yep. love. Yep. Yeah. So let, let's think about Hollywood for a second because Hollywood is, is I feel love for you or I, don't, I just don't love him. Oh, I love him. That makes all mm. my decisions, right? That's what every love movie is. Yeah. And, then, and then it's also, oh, you don't love me, you know, and that's like so heartbreaking to discover that person doesn't isn't yeah. in lo- isn't in love with me, right? But but the type of love where let's forget that it's romantic anyway. Totally. But the type of love we're talking about is like that. This is love as a choice, love as a lifestyle posture, love as a lifestyle orientation, right? It's a skill. So I think the phrase is quite helpful, love as a skill. But I've never heard it taught that mm, way. Until no. I read Alan de Botton, and he wasn't talking about Christian theology. He's talking about Western culture and one of mm. our biggest problems. He links this idea to the suicide rate, to poverty, to justice. Wow. You know, because we don't do justice unless we like personally get angry as well. and yep, like, yep. Yeah. Anyway, it's worth fascinating. It's really worth digging in. We could do rabbit warrens after least, his stuff, yeah. man. It's <laughs> it's crazy. But the whole crux of it was his whole you know thing is he explains in detail how I listened to this two hour interview with him how romanticism has ruined our culture mm. <laughs> wow. and basically because it's all about now we live by our feelings you know so um but coming back to your point jace about like the learning journey yeah. and how we operationalize it right i because think I that's what like the new testament le- does yeah i feel like we sorry i feel like we um we have so much grace for a learner yeah you know like you're like oh you made a mistake it's okay let's go through that journey mm. you know like mm. let's mm. like we have so much grace for a learner but we do not have grace for those we love like we are so you should have known, or you, you should have known, known, or how dare you? Yeah. Uh, because I feel this way. Mm. Where you've never voiced a, this to me, but thank you for sharing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, because Baton says that um, one of the qualities of romanticism in love is that we expect the other person to be a mind reader, mm. right? which is if you loved me. I wouldn't have to tell you. Totally. You would know, right? Because Hollywood's all about that. Like we mind meld and we had this deep connection where we know everything about each other and we've never even talked before. We all know that's illogical. That is so illogical, so illogical and it doesn't last. Wow. But every love story tells us that, mm. right? Oh, she just knows me. She gets me. I can't tell you how many people have said that to me when they're cheating with their work colleague. Like, oh, they just get me. Oh, my wife doesn't get me. She gets me. It's like, you're a freaking numb skull, mate. She gets the you that you've presented to her. Mm. Anyway, yeah. so, but think about this, but love as a skill, love as a behavior. The Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, the mm. book of Romans, right? And the, the major historical event behind the book of Romans is the division between the Jews and the Gentiles in the Roman church. And so Paul's writing to them his theology of Christ and salvation but why it's not just a generic textbook he sent them he's writing to them a letter to heal the fracture between Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church mainly because the emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome at one point right just not not long after the church got founded there so then the church in Rome has a certain amount of time where they have no Jews in Rome all the Jews got kicked out of Rome a few years later, the next emperor turns that decree over and the Jews come back to Rome. So now the Christian church in Rome is made up of Gentiles who've been Gentile Christians for a few years. Now the Jewish Christians, like the Jews who became Christians, they're coming back to Rome. There's all this controversy in the church now because the Gentiles are not used to living with Jews and the Jews mm-hmm. are not used to living with Gentiles. The Jewish people are still like careful about their dietary laws and the way they dress and all this stuff, you know. And the Gentiles have been like, man, we've never heard of any of your stuff. You mm-hmm. guys... But you guys are the ones who crucified Jesus and we're the ones that get grace, you know. So all of the book of Romans has a sociological point, which is how Paul uses Christian theology to heal a rift, a cultural, a deep cultural rift within 
a church in Rome so that it can be a genuine church where they can learn to live together, Jew and Gentile, under the blessing of God. Anyway, right? So the first 11 chapters is theology. And then from chapter 12, it becomes a therefore, now mm, this is how you live for a practical. little bit. Right? Okay. Mm. So listen to about the idea of Paul's number one aim. I'm going to preach the gospel to the Roman church so that they can learn to be people who leave love in their wake. Right? Think about that as a matrix yeah. and listen to what he says. 12 verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, offering your body as a living sacrifice, holy, that's how you really worship. You give your life to God, right? Wow. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect and pleasing will. For by the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. So, Pause. That was verse three. The next thing Paul does is he gives you a list of this is how you operationalize leaving love in your wake in a human community. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members don't all have the same functions. Okay, he goes on to the gifts of the Spirit and all this stuff, right? We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with the faith. If it's serving, then actually serve. You know, it's not mm. aspirational. Go do it. If it is teaching, teach. If it's encouraged, then encouragement. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. Mm. If it's a merciful, do it cheerfully. Then listen to this. Love, this is verse 9. Love must be sincere. See how he's like, it's a it's a trajectory. Yeah. Here's a list of operationalized points. This is how you live together mm. as a loving Christian community. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. See, for Paul, like, well, oh yeah, I want to keep spiritual fervor. Well, that's his way of saying be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, keep your spiritual fervor. How do I exercise spiritual fervor? I honor other people above myself. Mm. Um, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice. So I'm not going to keep reading the whole thing, but <laughs> everyone else can. But see how like in that idea... This is Paul's culmination, right? Romans 12, 1. Therefore, in view of God's mm. mercy, let's look back. I've just preached the whole gospel to you. Now, what do you do as a Christian community? You operationalize love. Yeah. And that is going to require you to go, I've got to have a renewed mind, man. I've got to live as a living sacrifice and change my whole posture here. You know, And I think that's, uh, to me, that's just something I've been reflecting on as we've gone mm. about that value building with our own church this year, that Romans 12 is sort of the playbook of, you know, how do you honour others above yourself? Totally. And well, that's like instead of being a consumer that rocks up, rocks up to a consume, uh, community expecting everybody here is going to be devoted to making this a good experience for me. It's like, mm. no, no, I'm coming. I'm turning up to that community devoted to how do I make something happen for other people today, you know? Mm. Wow. Which I was thinking like if someone did listen to last week's podcast, which we talked about what challenges for this year, mm. that maybe if you were like, oh, I'm not sure or I'm unsure how to put words to it, it would be really wise to then read Romans chapter 12 and go through and actually, yeah, that's how I want to be more like Jesus mm. this year and then ask the question, how do I do that? And then yeah. break it down into personal steps mm. because I feel like sometimes we can just, again, be a little bit airy-fairy. I yeah. just like to be more loving. Like, okay, yeah, what does that loving. mean? Yeah, like, mm. and so mm. I think... Um, even just going back and, you know, spending some time meditating on that if you're unsure or even if you just would like, you know, some language around it or something, but then asking how do I do that yeah. and then even further operationalise it in your life. But that's a pretty 
pretty practical steps on like, hey, at mm. any time mm. we could visit, revisit them. And I dare say there's there's areas that we go, yeah, that one might have dropped a bit. Well, that one can mm. – or Holy mm. Spirit is mm. really highlighting that one because, mm. again, we're just on this journey to become like Jesus. And so yep. we're not here to think we've made it or to feel our way through and just even justify or whatever. It's just like, no, no, keep going. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Such an incredible scripture, isn't it? In the sense of, you know, in like where he's just this love in action where he's calling us to, you know, love our enemy and to put others before ourselves. Like it's just mm. such a beautiful mm. perspective that Paul is bringing to them that is just honestly that skill that is being developed in love for them. Mm. And it highlights mm. that it is a skill. Because yeah. no one can read that and go, yeah. oh, that's me. I but, just made know, the choice and I got it all yeah, made. That's right. That's <laughs> I accepted right. Jesus and look at me. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think we get used to reading that as like a list of proverbial aphorisms mm, or something. It's yeah. just, oh, you know, this is the ideal Christian life. But it's like, no, no, this is the playbook for how a Christian community lives together. Mm. And that's what he's saying to them. You guys, the yous are all plural in this, not singular. So it's like, you guys, the Jews and Gentiles in Rome and everyone else in the church, you've all got to learn to live together. So yeah. in the first half of Romans, I'm preaching you Christ, declaring Christ mm. crucified, right? Yeah. In the second half, this chapter, I'm now teaching you, since you know the gospel, there's a shape for your life. And this is what it looks this like. This is how you do it. And almost every behavior in there is relational in re- as regards to other human beings, you know? Mm. Like that's fascinating to me. I think you know, we really could spend is. some time. I've been journaling over this over the last couple of months, this chapter, and thinking... There are so many gems for wisdom in this. If you were like, if you were like dealing with people having severe relationship breakdown, mm. some of the gems in this that Paul for Paul, it's a one-liner. It's like, man, if you could actually do that. Like, let me give you an mm. example, right? Let me see. Let me see. Okay, um, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Mm. Right? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's one phrase. Verse nine. Love must be sincere. Okay, sincere means like without wax. Like it's like a statue that hasn't been, you know. The statue is mm. made of marble. Mm. It's yeah. got a scratch in it. You're going to sell it in the market. You fill that scratch in with wax so the dumb consumer doesn't realise there's a scratch there till they get it home later and realise they got they didn't get what they wanted, you know. So for Paul, love has to be sincere. It's got to be like the real deal, not selling something fake, right? But yeah. how does he recognise it? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Mm. You know, if you want any relationship to go well, you can't pretend everything's fine mm. and you can't pretend everything's horrible. Totally. What do you do in a relationship? With each other, well, we hate what's evil, mm. but we cling to what is good. How many relationships break down because we cling to what is evil? Oh, I can't stand this about this person. They did Great this one call. thing that one time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so like this is a list of things that can be easily operationalized. Mm. Teach people a skill. Cling to what is good, hate what is evil. Yeah, it's interesting because it just reminded me of 1 Corinthians 13. Mm. Like it's like, oh, mm. of course mm. that's the same author, Yeah, you know, yeah. just reflecting a similar type of, yep. you know, which then so you could probably bounce like. to other scriptures and go, yeah, like that one. Mm. Again, there's a breakdown of what it actually looks like and the skills that we can take on mm. and the ways in which we can learn to love and not based on our feeling, but actually like, yep. no, as an active choice of discipleship and in my obedience to Christ, I'm going to do that for this person in front of me. Well, it'd be interesting to canvas the average person that's a Bible reader and go, you know, when you read this or when you read 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, it's been read out at almost every wedding I've ever been to. You know? <laughs> but then that kind of proves like, what you're about to say a little bit. Yeah, that's right. But it's like if the average person read that, do they read it and go, yeah, this is shaping the outcome yeah, right. of my way of life? Or, or do they just poetry? go, oh, that's kind of nice. Love is yeah. patient. Love, love is, is like kind. that. And then what about this one? Love is like that. Oh, yeah. 
because God is love. God's like that. Mm. So this is how God is with me. So it actually then becomes a message all about the nature and character of God. And self-centeredness. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. It's about, well, God is like this with me, which is utterly true God is. Mm. But why it's in that chapter, especially 1 Corinthians 13, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 is one literary thought. How does the church serve each other in the manifestations of the gifts mm. of the Spirit, right? And and the longest chunk of writing is devoted to explaining what love is because why? Paul says at the end, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest is love. I've already told you what love is, which means the most important practice in a community is not your tongues or your word of knowledge. It's your way that you love. That gets more verbiage than miracles or anything else. You know, but again, yeah. not very sexy. Like everyone mm. would rather tongues and miracles than a loving church, but probably. <laughs> but I tell you, we've got a lot of churches with tongues and miracles where there's destruction in their wake. Yeah. Mm. And Paul's thing, this is what love is like. Leave it in your wake. Mm. If you're going to express the gifts of the Spirit, do it with love or it's just clanging symbols mm. you know wow. so when we read this romans 12 1 corinthians 12 do we go this is shaping me for a way of life that i go now i live this way or is it just nice information about god that makes me feel better mm. about how god feels about me it's a very good question. that's a romanticism very infected question. faith totally. you know? mm. yeah. brilliant stuff that is excellent. Well, there's definitely things that we can ponder there and definitely the way that we could read Scripture at least a little bit differently totally. with a with a sharper lens. So thanks so much for joining us today. Folks, got any comments or anything else you'd like us to add into this podcast in regards to content, please drop us a line below. And if you'd like to stay connected with us, you can check out Encounter Church TV on YouTube and mm. Encounter Church AU on Insta. We are all about leading lives that leave love in our wake. And so until next time, maybe we can find ways to do just that. Bye. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next Adios. time. See you next time. <laughs>